0: So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 14 this morning, uh, really 3 through 6, but I want us to read 3 through 14 because as we talked about last week, this is really one thought. It's one glorious compound sentence uh, from Paul in the Greek, in the original. And so I want us to read this together. And, and I wonder if you would kind of um, humor me a little bit this morning and let's try um, don't, this isn't something we normally do. Let's try to actually read this out loud together. Can we try that? We may not do this every week, but let's try it today. See how it goes, okay? I'll try to set the, the cadence, all right? And, and we can try and read this together. And um, we're going to start in verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through verse 14. Ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we're going to do today, we're going to walk through verses 3 through 6. And we're going to start and just walk through one little section at a time and kind of break it down. And so we look here at verses 3 through 6... ...and just this kind of primary thought in this says... "...blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... ...who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places... ...even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world... ...that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ... According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. So let's start just that first thought. Blessed be God. Now I want to ask you a question. Can we bless God? Like in the sense that we say, you know, someone blessed you or you've been blessed because something was given to you and it added value to your life. Can we bless God? In that sense, is there anything that we can add to God that he is lacking? No. Very good. No, there's nothing that we can add to God. Why? Because he is lacking nothing. There's nothing that we can give to him. He lacks nothing. Psalm 50 verse 12, uh, the psalmist is kind of speaking for the Lord as it were. And he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and all its fullness are mine. And so something that we need to understand and what the Israelites needed to understand even as they sang this song is that even the sacrifices that they were making on a daily and a yearly basis, they were not making on God's behalf so that there would be something that God would be added to him as many pagan cultures do. Remember, the gods are angry. Right? And so we must make sacrifices to these gods and appease them in such a way that they'll stop being angry. They're just kind of irritated all the time. Right? The sacrifices were not for God's benefit, but rather for ours. They were rather the benefit for the benefit of the people of God. Because God in His holiness and His righteousness would not be able to stop that holiness and righteousness striking out and striking them down unless blood was spilled. Why? For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And in a temporary sense, those sacrifices were a temporary propitiation, a wrath-absorbing sacrifice on the people's behalf. It wasn't adding anything to God. And they weren't feeding Him, right? All these bulls and rams and lambs and doves and everything else that was sacrificed to God, it wasn't because God was hungry. And he wanted his people to understand that, that he wasn't lacking in anything. He doesn't need anything from us. And we need to hear this this morning, that God does not even need our worship. We don't come here today and gather here today and participate in these things and sing these songs because God needs these things. We don't gather here to fill God's emotional cup so that He can feel better about Himself. Sometimes I think we forget that. And we come and we're trying to, you know soothe God. That, that's not what we're here for. This would be like to a pagan culture that would sacrifice a virgin to the beast that torments them. This is not the same thing. A complete and total wrath-absorbing sacrifice was needed, and it has been provided. Christ is our substitute, and He has been made a propitiation for us, a complete and total wrath-absorbing sacrifice, absorbing the holy and righteous judgment of God's wrath poured out towards sin. So we gather, and we sing, and we listen, and we worship, and we participate because He is worthy, not because He needs anything. We do this because He is God, and we are not. And that is enough. And so when Paul says, blessed be God, he's not saying that there's some kind of blessing that we need to give to God, but rather that God is blessed in the ultimate sense in that there is nothing that we can add to Him that would add anything to His value. He is infinitely valuable and there's nothing that he is lacking. He is worthy. But what this type of blessing implies in the original is to literally, it's a word picture, to bend the knee. And so when... When you're attributing blessing to someone because they are worthy, there's nothing that you can really add to their value, but rather you are bending the knee to their worthiness. And so this word bless is to acknowledge the worth of the one being addressed, in this case God, and this is what the word worship is really all about. It's what the word worship implies. The word worship literally means Worthship. Worthship. You're attributing worth to the one who already owns worth. Do you see? And so, worship is paying homage to the God who is worthy to receive it because of his power, his might, his goodness, and his grace that he has in himself, not because we have given him any power, might, uh, worth, or grace. Right? God is not, like, building in power every time that we worship. Right? That's important, too. Especially for those of us who might come from a charismatic background. That when things aren't going right in our life, it's, it's not because God is weak and we need to pray and worship in such a way that it builds God up again so that He can work on our behalf. That is not biblical. <laughs> God is lacking in nothing and there's nothing that he needs in order to do anything that he might want to do. For us to bless God is to bow the knee to him as it were and attribute to him all the worth that he already has. Amen? Paul says here, Blessed be the God. God is the one who exists in all glory without need of anything from anyone. He is all in all. Now, We're going to come back to this, what I'm about to tell you, towards the end today. But I want you to think about the word blessing now and bending the knee as it applies to how God blesses us. Because the same word is used when God blesses us, and it's the same word of bending the knee. It's what would cause theologians to use this word in theology called uh, the condescension of God in Christ. That God is coming down. That's what the incarnation is all about. That God was blessing us in Christ by coming down to our level rather than us having to try to climb to God's level. And that applies to everything that we have. Because in this way, blessing, bending the knee, when attributed to an act of God towards us, speaks of His condescension namely in Christ, coming down and extending to us that which we do not deserve. So let's talk about that. How much do we deserve? Nothing. We deserve nothing. There's nothing that we deserve. And therefore, every single thing that we have, all the way down to life and breath itself, is a condescension of God's blessing towards us. And there are some things that God blesses all men with. We would call this common or general grace. And then there is a very particular blessing for those who believe. And it's the blessing that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1. Remember this, James 1, 7 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good thing that we have. And possess is a blessing from God. From life to material possessions, all of them have come from a holy God who has condescended to give us that which we do not deserve. So, is there anything we can give to God that He needs from us? No. But God delights in His people. Psalm 149 verse 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And the Psalms exhort us in their praises, as it says in Psalm 103, to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. So briefly, let us remember how closely Jesus identified with his church as his spiritual body in the book of Acts. Remember, Jesus comes to Paul, and what does he say? He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Was Paul, like, beaten up on Jesus in his physical body? No, who was he beaten up on? The church, that's right. He was beaten up on Jesus' spiritual body. That's why we said that if the Gospels are a representation... ...of Christ's work and life and ministry in his physical body. The book of Acts is a representation of Christ's life and work in his spiritual body. And this is how closely Jesus identified with his church. He came to Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? Okay, so let's think about that. Does it not then proceed that when we bless God's people... ...his children in whom he delights, the bride of Christ, his church... Are we then blessing God himself? Yeah, absolutely. Because Jesus identifies that closely with his church, which is his body. Let me ask you a question, parents. How blessed do you feel when another adult gives appropriate attention and affection to your child? There's nothing quite like that. I mean, we love our own kids, right? Like, in spite of themselves. (laughs) And we even know that inherently, right? Like, we know how often sometimes we overlook different things in our kids because they're our kids and we love them. We just can't help ourselves. But there's something so special when another adult appropriately gives affection and attention to your kids. Why? because you know that they are not as biased as you are about them, right? It's special. Um, I am blessed today by the godly men and women that God has seen fit to surround my family with. But it's when they are blessing my children and my wife that I myself feel the most blessed. That is, and, and, and so if that's how I feel in a very broken, sinful way... God as a true father, as a righteous father, how must he feel when we bless his kids, his family? It's a fraction of what we're supposed to live with each other every day. And when we do, I believe we will feel the pleasure of our God and Father through the indwelt presence of the Spirit when we love one another. When we live out the 59 different one another's that are in the New Testament that God calls us to. to to do, to love one another, to bless one another, to encourage one another, to lift up one another, to bear one another's burdens. Like all these things, as we participate in these things for each other, we are then doing it for the Lord. Remember Jesus said to those at the end, to people who, who didn't do these things, he says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was in prison, you didn't come and visit me. And they were like, Lord, when, when didn't we do these things? Like, why, when we didn't see you like this? And Jesus said, you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. And likewise, he says to others, he says, but you did, you, you fed me, you gave me drink, you, you clothed me, you came and visited me. And they're like, Lord, we, when? And he's like, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another and so bless your Father who is in heaven. This is the command, love God and love one another. This is how we know that we love God if we obey His commands. And it rests here in how Jesus said that outsiders would know that we belong to Him in that we love one another, in that we love one another. God is blessed by our love and obedience in the way that a father delights in his children and we give it because he is our father and he is blessed because he knows that there is nothing that we can do to add to his greatness. And he is happy simply that we would delight in him as he delights in us. So blessed be God. Blessed be the God. And what's the next part? And father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see that Jesus is as it says in Romans 8:29, the firstborn among many brothers. And so God has his son Jesus. Now, did Je- was Jesus born? No. He is co-eternal with the Father, but he proceeds from the Father. And Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. He is our big brother if we are the children of God. Amen? Now, let's just address this quickly. We live in a world, among a culture that would like to say that we are all the children of God. Are we all the children of God? Every living person on earth? No, we are not. That's right, we are not. Are we all the creation of God? Yes, absolutely. And every single person on this earth, hear me church, every single person on this earth deserves and the word of God demands dignity, respect, and honor. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, No matter what they say they believe or things that they participate in, as image bearers of God created in His image, they deserve dignity, honor, and respect. But are all people equally the children of God? No. That's not what the Bible teaches. Why? Because the Bible teaches that God adopts those who are His children. And so there are those. All men are created in the image of God and are image bearers. But only those who have been adopted by God, through by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, can rightfully be called His children. And if you are a child of God, then Jesus is your big brother. Then He says, who has blessed us, how? In Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So let me ask you a question. Who is acting in this part of the text here? God is acting in Jesus. That's right. God is acting in the Son by the Spirit. Jesus is our big brother and God has blessed us in him. He is the one who is blessing. God is blessing. Who then is passively receiving? We are. His children are. And we are. And with what Have we been blessed? We have to look forward to the next part of the scripture. What does it say? With every spiritual blessing. So this God, who in himself contains all worth, there's nothing that can be added to him, who also is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has said that he has blessed us We have received from Him blessing a condescension, a bending of the knee, which we don't deserve in Christ. And out of that, we have received every spiritual blessing. Now, we need to remember that when it says every spiritual blessing, it's not talking about, you know, mystical things that are just kind of around. They're spiritual in nature and you receive them. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how we have received in Christ, literally Christ himself. And Christ himself has been conveyed to us by the Spirit. It's why we would say that salvation is completely a work of God from beginning to end. It's by the Father in the Son, or excuse me, it's of the Father in the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a work of God in the Son and by the Holy Spirit. He has, these blessings in Jesus have been conveyed to us by the Spirit. And this is the definition of a spiritual blessing, a blessing, a gift conveyed to us by the Spirit. And how many spiritual blessings have we been blessed with, church? Every. Now, we go to the Greek. We know there are times it can be tricky in the New Testament when it says, all. And it's like seems like it's all, but really it's all without distinction rather than all without exception. So we got to do some work here, okay? It says every. And this every is an all without exception rather than an all without distinction. So it really means every, that there's nothing left out. Every spiritual blessing, nothing left out. And how have we been blessed? With every spiritual blessing, what does it say? In Christ. In Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. Christ. This is key to our understanding of how God blesses us. Every blessing that you receive from God will come by virtue of you being in Christ and that blessing being found in Him in Christ. Everything is, again, from start to finish, a work of God in the Son by the Spirit. The Father sending His Son. The Son accomplishing all of the work. And the Spirit applying it to those whom the Father has chosen. So because of this, we could say that truly, even our sanctification is not really about us doing more and getting better. But rather, our sanctification is about us submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit whereby He conforms us to the image of the Son through us being reminded daily of Christ's work of redemption on our behalf. Now, when people talk about sanctification, normally what they're talking about is they're talking about some kind of outward Visible sign by which someone we could say is God is working in and through them or on them. Unfortunately, often that looks like cleaning up our behavior. And so someone would say that someone whose behavior had really been cleaned up, that they, man, they're really being sanctified, and then would lead us in error to sometimes say when we blow it, that man, we really, you know, kind of lost, lost my sanctification there. No. Your sanctification is grounded in the work of Christ on your behalf and it is, in a spiritual sense, an already complete work spiritually but we have not yet seen it walked out in fullness in the natural. It's already not yet. So we look to, well, how, how would we say someone's really walking in sanctification? Well, they'd have to have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. Nine of them. I can't remember. There's one I'm missing. I can't remember. Goodness. Thank you very much. It's not a fruit that you eat, right? Thank you, Sunday school, right? I feel like I should write some thank you notes. Thank you, Sunday school, for leading me down the wrong path with your pictures of fruit called patience. All right? So, and it's a fruit... Help me, what is it? It's a fruit of who? Again, not some thing. It's a person of the Godhead. And fruit in this sense means the product. It's the product of whom? So your love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that get them all, Faithfulness, all right? Are they works that you do? Can an atheist love his kids? Sure. Can someone who's a, a Buddhist or a Hindu be very patient? Sure. Can an anarchist be kind to someone? Uh, maybe. <laughs> of course they can. And the problem, when we start to dial down sanctification to outward behavior, we've missed the point. Because we have started to make the Christian life about the life of the Christian rather than who Christ is and what he's done. It's not about our outward behavior. Now, does sin matter? Yes. Should you stop sinning? Yes. Why? Because you have a Father who loves you and accepts you and has called you his own in spite of yourself. And he's holy, and he's perfect, and he's righteous. And as his child, you should want to be like him. And don't worry, the Bible actually says that the Holy Spirit will be the one changing your desires. Because can I be honest? There are times I don't want to be like God. There are times I don't want to be holy and righteous. There are times I do want to sin, and I need. That's the work of sanctification, the Holy Spirit working on us in our hearts, changing our motives and our desires so that the product is a work of the Holy Spirit, and we are loving, good, kind, patient, all these things when we don't naturally want to be that's when you know it's a work of the Holy Spirit rather than you, right? Like if you're just being good and kind and patient with people that are really easy to be good and kind and patient to, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's just called those people are awesome. (laughs) They probably are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's when you are having to deal with people and circumstances and relationships and situations that make you want to pull your hair out and scream and shout and throw a fit and kick things like my three-year-old, that suddenly God, by His Spirit, begins to give you goodness and patience and kindness and gentleness and these things, and they start coming out of you, and you're almost like watching it almost in an out-of-body experience, going, where did that come from? It was God blessing you in the son by the spirit and the byproduct of that was a work of the spirit in your life it's not about doing good and being better it's rather us submitting to the work of the holy spirit whereby he conforms us to the image of his son through us being daily reminded of christ's work of redemption on our behalf the work that results from this morphing heart and changing desires that want God, that desire God, that want to love and honor God. And those things are more and more and more purified the more that they truly spring from a heart that loves and desires God above all things. But not one of us is going to get there 100% this side of glory. Not one of us. And so what we have to do every single day is rest, hear me church, we've got to rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf and rest and know that it's His works that count for us. You know when you try, you try like you're trying to to reach out to someone or do something good for someone and you screw it up. You come away and you end up saying something that you wish you wouldn't have said but you were trying to do the right thing, and you you really were trying to speak the truth in love because you love this person, a brother and sister of Christ, or maybe someone who doesn't know Christ, and you're you're trying to share the gospel with them, and, and you walk away, and anyway, am I the only you walk away and you're just like, why did I say that? You know, or like, gosh, I man, I really kind of I hit this too hard, and man, I I feel like I just cut them to pieces and like. If you've ever been, maybe I'm the only one, I'll I'll just preach to myself for a minute, okay? In that moment, what do you got to do? You got to say, it's not about me, it's about God. You got to say, it's not about my words, it's about His words. You got to say, my words can be burned away like chaff, but God's word remains forever, and it always accomplishes that which it has been appointed to do. Amen? And so what does that do, church? It should free us to try and fail. It should free us to know that we can go, we can open our mouth and we can say things and we can walk away and go, I am such an idiot, but God, you are good and I know that what you wanted to come out of that is gonna come out of that. And when you blow it bad enough that you feel like you really hurt someone or sinned against someone, then the most beautiful example of the gospel for that person is for you to go back to them and say, hey, you know what? I'm so sorry. I, you know, whatever was happening and I said this and I know that I shouldn't have said that and I don't know why I did. My flesh got in the way. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Repent. Yeah, repent. And let God work through that. Remember, it's okay to not be okay because Jesus is everything for us. We err when we make sanctification about our outward and external works. If we do, we'll never be able to do that with each other. If in this place we have a culture that being a Christian and being sanctified is about doing more and being better and being good all the time, none of us will be repenting to each other. Because we'll be so worried that the mask will slip and someone will see our imperfections. Church, take the masks off. Take the masks off and begin to confess to one another. Confess to one another. Some of you, uh, James, the book of James will say, this is not me saying, the book of James is saying that some of you even have physical ailments because you are not confessing sin and you need to confess and be healed in the name of Jesus. If we don't, we lead to what we call moral therapeutic deism, which is a false religion under the guise of Christianity that makes the life of the Christian the point of the Christian life rather than Christ. So sanctification really looks a lot like us daily getting more used to our justification because of the work of Christ and what that means about who we truly are in Him in our identity as we are about to get into as adopted sons and daughters of God. So Jesus is the blessing of the Father with which He has blessed us in Him. There is no greater blessing than Christ Himself. So we can say with confidence, everything we need in Christ, we already possess. If you are in Christ by grace through faith as a work of the Spirit, then you are already blessed with every spiritual blessing possible in Him, nothing left out, nothing lacking. Paul writes of Christ in Colossians and he says of Christ that it is in Him who are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what that means is that you and I should spend a lifetime uncovering every hidden treasure that is the splendor of Christ. So you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, but have you seen them all yet? No. They are yours in Christ, but have you experienced them all yet? No. And so, it is God's pleasure over the course of your life and your walk with Christ to begin to uncover daily and weekly and monthly and yearly new treasures of Christ that were already yours. You just hadn't seen them yet. And as you develop an intimacy with God the Father, with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, you will find that there is no end to the depth of intimacy that you can develop with Him. There will always be new levels of intimacy to explore with Christ. You will never run out of worth with which to ascribe to His beauty and His majesty. You need not have to expend effort and energy trying to, quote, spice it up, end quote, with Jesus. Do you know that we really don't have a whole lot other plans? People ask me sometimes, they're like, you know, Mike, what, what's the vision for Redemption Hill? Like, what, what else is there in store? let I be, like, real honest with you? There's not a lot. We're going to gather, we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to sing and praise, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God because that's what the Bible told us to do in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to gather together in smaller ways and share meals and life and community and we're going to reach out and share the gospel with our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. Like, that's it. Like, if you need a more exciting plan than that, This probably is not the place for you. And I say that with all the love in my heart. Why? Because we really believe that Jesus is enough. And we are tired, sick and tired, of the hamster wheel of making everything bigger, better, more flashy... This and that and the other thing, we got to add the smoke and the stuff and the thing and lasers and helicopters and all this stuff because Jesus isn't enough. No, church, can you just hear me say this this morning? Jesus is enough. And if you need all that flashy stuff, you're not seeking for Jesus, you're seeking for that stuff. And why aren't we going to use it? Because the stuff you win them with, you have to keep them with. And if it took lasers and helicopters to get someone to come and hear the gospel, if the lasers and helicopters are gone, they don't care about the gospel anymore. And I'm not saying that there aren't certain things that we would purposefully do to, to make the message of the gospel more forefront and center and easier to hear and all those things, but not at the sake of the message and really not at the sake of entering into that hamster wheel, because that's all it is. Every year, Father's Day has to have a bigger gift, and this and that, and Mother's Day, we've got to go all... And it's like, really? Happy Father's Day, dads. Happy Mother's Day, moms. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing we can add to the value that hasn't been already given to you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray for you that you might remember that today. Amen? Uh, Maybe I'm the only one. We're with you, brother. Can I say this? Thank you, Dana, again. In our relationships with each other, and let me speak to the intimacy of marriage. Because we are in the flesh, there are times in your marriage that you may need to spice it up. Right? Right? Because there is only so deep that we can go with each other. And, and my prayer is that, that we would experience that sometimes we, we think we hit a wall there and there really is something beyond that wall and we need to get through it. But, but that language makes sense to us in those kind of relationships. But God is not human. And there is no end to Him. He is infinite. And so you will never run out ...of things to explore with Him. And sometimes I think that in our marriage relationships... ...and in friendships... ...when we get frustrated because we're not getting enough from that person... ...the thing that we're truly pining for in that relationship... ...is not more of them, it's more of God. And we need to find that He is our all in all. And we need to plumb the depths of intimacy with Him and find pleasures forevermore. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you feel a lack of intimacy with Christ, it is because you have been absent, not because there is any lack in Him. Next, Paul says, in the heavenly Places. blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and where are they located in the heavenly places well what does this mean it means this I believe our blessing in Christ is secure it is secure The incorruptible value and worth of Christ's substitution for us is not susceptible to depreciation. Right? It was once for all time and it will forever stand for all time. There's never going to be a time where God... I mean, it can, like, just wrap your mind around this, right? Because as, as a culture sometimes, we, we look at what's going on, we're just like, man, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. When will it ever end? And, and oh my God, God's not sitting there going, oh, oh man, oh, oh, one more sin there. Oh man, the tank on Christ's sufficiency is, is dwindling and it's kind of starting to run low. Didn't see that one coming. Hey, Jesus, and I know it, it was hard, you know. I know you really wanted that cup to pass from you, but I think you're going to have to go drink it again, right? Jesus is not going to have to come back and re-sacrifice himself because his previous sacrifice has depreciated in value. It's not how it works. There's no g- degeneration in this spiritual blessing, it does not tire or wear out. It never devalues. It is secure because Christ Himself is secure. He has defeated once for all time death, hell, and the grave. So let me ask you a question. Kids, you can answer this too. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven, that's right. He's in heaven. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Seated. Not pacing. Right? Not, not, not worrying. He is seated. Why? Because He is reigning on His throne. He is secure in His rule and his reign. If you looked ahead to verses 20 through 23, you would see Paul speak to this very fact. Look at verse 4. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So another quick question: who's choosing? God is. Paul is anchoring here. This church, Paul is anchoring our eternal and secure hope in Christ. Not by looking forward into the future, but rather by looking back into eternity past. Paul is anchoring our eternal and secure hope in Christ by looking into eternity past and by looking at God's sovereign choice to elect a people unto himself. Now, I'm going to speak to you personally just for a minute. For me, for Mike Cooper Jr., personally, this is where true biblical assurance has come for me. I I have lived most of my life without true biblical assurance. Unsecure in my salvation in Christ. But assurance for me has come from this. No doctrine at the same time has caused me more pain because I have suffered pain because of this doctrine. But no doctrine has also brought me more rest, more peace, or more joy than the doctrine of God's election And so hear me say this. If you're not there yet, that's okay. That's okay. Don't abandon ship. Search the scriptures. Be a Berean. Rest in Christ's finished work for you and look to the future with hope. Just know that the reason that you have a hope in the future is because God secured it in eternity past. So, what effect does God's choosing in eternity past make? Well, what does it say? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Now look back again quickly, just before that, it says even as he chose us what? In him even as He chose us in Him. okay. Remember that this is all key to our understanding that everything God is actively doing, He is doing in the Son. So we are not holy and blameless in ourselves, in our own work. Why? Because our works and our righteousness are what? Piles of dung and filthy rags. Okay, But we are holy and blameless because of Him. We are righteous because of Him, not because of us. Verse 5, in love. In love. God is doing all of this in love. Who chose first? Who chose first? He did. Who loved first? He did. Who pursued who first? He did. God did. God chose. He loved he pursued and he did all of it in Christ. Jesus is the evidence of God's love and pursuit of you. Now you may ask this morning, well, how do I know it was for me? Well, are you here? Are you here? Some of you are like, well, I'm trying to be here. Are you, are you here? Yes, you're here. Can you hear me? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? (laughs) Do Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Can you hear me today? If the answer is yes, there's a reason for that. God in His sovereignty said that today you would be sitting here, you would sit under the teaching of His words, these would be the words that you are hearing, you would have His word in front of you so that you could check everything that is being said and know that what is being preached is the text of Scripture and not anything else. You're here because God said you would be here today and you would hear it. Why? Because in love He chose and He pursued and He arranged so that you would be here today. So is this for you? Yes, it's for you. This is all so that you can bear witness to this message. You are a needy sinner in need of a great Savior. And Jesus is a great Savior who came to rescue needy sinners. He didn't come for the well. He didn't come for those who have it all together. He came for the sick, for the poor, for the helpless, not the good, the bad. Jesus came to rescue sinners of whom I'm the foremost, of whom you are the foremost, because we are all by nature and choice blasphemers of God. We have traded the truth about God for a lie, and we have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. You are worse off than you think you are. But Jesus is so much greater than you could possibly imagine. And why did Jesus do this? Why did he come? Why did he offer up his life to rescue sinners? Because God loved first. In love. And in love, what did he do? What does it say? He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. His predestining plan is is grounded in His love and our adoption is rooted and grounded in God's election. He predestined us for adoption. That's what it was for. It was for adoption. This is the plan, the intention of God, the covenant of redemption at work. It's all about God's choosing, not ours. We don't need to... Invite Jesus into our hearts. He doesn't have a self-esteem problem either, so we don't need to accept Him. Right? The only thing that we need to accept is that we are unworthy sinners and He is a trustworthy and effective Savior. We see this love at work in what scholars and theologians call the golden chain of redemption. And you can find it in Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30. It's what they call the ordo salutis or the order of salvation. And what we see in Romans 8:28 through 30 is that there are several different things at work that are involved in God in the son and by the spirit working redemption on our, our behalf. Romans 8:28, we know 8:28, right? For we know that for those who love God all things work together for the good, right? Anyone ever heard that one before? Seen it on a little thing at Lifeway? Picked it up, gave it to someone? They gave it to somebody else? Who gave it to somebody else? Okay. We, we know that one. And, and please don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling the truth that is in that verse. The problem is, is we read verse 28 and we skip to verse 31, and which says... What then shall we say about these things if God is for us, who can be against us? We love verse 28 and we love verse 30. We kind of cut out verses 29 and 30. The problem is, what shall we say about these things? The question you should be asking is, what things? Well, it's the things that Paul said to us in verses 29 and 30 that you ignored. Okay, so let's go see what they say. All right. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom He predestined He also called and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. So notice the chain there. There's, there is a predestining, there is a calling, there is a, conf- a justifying, there is Jesus being the firstborn among many brothers, were conformed to His image, there's the sanctification, and there is the glorification, which we experience when we meet Jesus face to face. We, all, we often skip to verse 31. But Paul's exuberance in 31 and the rest of the doxology to the end of the chapter are grounded in verses 29 and 30. So the chain of redemption. Who are the called in verse 28? They are those whom God foreknew, whom he predestined to be conformed among many brothers, these he called. And what's the result of this calling? Justified. And glorified. Normally, we would associate the glorified in something that is to come, but Paul here uses a tense that is something that is already done. It's already accomplished. And so that's what we would call already, not yet. It's already accomplished by God in Christ, but it's not yet something that we experience in its fullness. Paul here says this in a way that lets us know that this great blessing of God is eternally secured and already established. We are already in a spiritual sense glorified before the Father because of the work of Christ. But we are not yet walking in our glorified state because we have not yet shed this shell of mortality to put on new clothes of immortality. But let's look at that word new, real quick. new. What does this mean? Literally means to know beforehand or even to select in advance. But it carries with it a particular kind of knowledge. In the Greek, it's prognosco, but its Hebrew counterpart is the word yada. Now, anyone who's ever done any studies in Genesis knows this word because the word yada is the word that's used when Adam. "...knew Eve his wife, and she bore him a son." So there's a kind of knowing when you know about someone. And then there's the kind of knowing that produces children. I have nothing to draw graphs with or charts or schematic okay. Do you follow me this morning? There's the kind of knowing where you know about something. And then there's the kind of knowing that produces children. Those over 18, are you with me? Okay? That's the language Paul is using in knowing. He's saying for new. It could accurately be translated for loved. Those whom he for loved, those whom he chose to love ahead of time, those are the ones that he predestined for adoption. It's the kind of knowing and loving that produces children or, as Paul tells us in our text this morning, in love, he predestined us for adoption. Everyone for whom Christ died will be saved. And God uses means. What means does he use? He uses the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. And what is the message that is the power of God unto salvation that must be preached? It is the gospel itself. But the act of saving was not an end. Unto itself. And in modern evangelicalism, we have made salvation an end unto itself. But so your salvation, church, hear me, your salvation is not an end unto itself, but rather it was a means unto an end. Your salvation is and was a means unto an end. And what is that end, church? Adoption. Adoption. As sons. We were not elected unto salvation. It doesn't say, God predestined you to salvation. What does it say? He predestined you to adoption. So maybe a more accurate way to say this is, you are elected to salvation but you are elected for adoption. This is how the gospel creates a family that lives on mission. Our adoption is rooted in our in God's election. That's the plan to create a family. The covenant of redemption is all about God choosing a people. Jesus working to accomplish everything needed to save them. And the Spirit applying that saving work to those chosen by God for adoption so that they could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And all of this was done as a work of grace so that it would be of no merit or effort or work of our own. It was Brought to us, conveyed to us by the Spirit, a divine gift of believing trust in Christ and His work alone. So we are co heirs with Christ. We have a father. We have an elder brother. We have a family. And we are living with this family on mission with Dad. And all of this is, as it says, according to the purpose of whose will? His will. All of this can only be accomplished by a God who is sovereign over all things. A God who is actually mighty to save and able to accomplish that which He sets out to do. So church, can God be thwarted? No. No. The Bible says, Job 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah uh, 14, verse 27, For the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one. No one can. No one can stop our sovereign God. Verse 6, all of this is again to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is it. The purpose behind it all, that He and He alone would be praised. And praised for what? Praised for His glorious, glorious grace. Because it is glorious. Why? Because God has bent the knee. He condescended. How has He blessed us? With every spiritual blessing. He has done it in Christ. He has done it in Christ. This can only be done as He comes down to deliver that which is too much for us. He has done it, not us. God pursued us while we were yet sinners Romans 5 says even though every single one of us had fallen short as Romans three twenty three says while we were running from him he was chasing after us and there is not one of us today that could stand up and say otherwise and here's the beautiful fact that we need to remember today he still is and he still does He still is, and he still does. His love never fails. So church, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who then can be against us? If our identity is secure in him, then what can shake that? Can anything? No. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. When our hope is anchored in who God is and what He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I want you just to close your eyes. I'm going to pray for just a minute. But I want you to think about why, why this matters. Why why does this change us? What matters and it changes us because it speaks to our identity. This is where our identity takes on flesh. So let me ask you, as you prepare yourself to receive from the Lord's table this morning, who are you? Who are you through faith? In Jesus Christ. And as you try to answer that for yourself, hear this just proclaimed over you this morning. You are, through faith in Jesus Christ, an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God the Father. You are adopted into a family and surrounded by brothers and sisters, welcomed and accepted at His table, not because of anything that you have done or not done, but resting securely in the work of Christ alone. And what this should do for you this morning is it should free you. It should free you to love one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another. This should free you to reach out to those who are outside the faith. This should free you to obey God without fear of His wrath when you mess up or to risk and venture out for the sake of the kingdom and for His family, the church. But none of that is possible if you don't first understand whom God has made you to be because of Christ but if and when you do begin to understand that this morning and I pray that you do then the whole world opens up and the future becomes even brighter because of what has been accomplished and secured in eternity past God's grace be with you this morning as you come